0: Afternoon and good evening, wherever and whenever you may be, and welcome to episode 102 Dalmatians, the sequel to 101 <laughs>
1: Dalmatians. How long are we going to keep this up?
0: <laughs> well, there was not 103 Dalmatians, so okay. not any longer. <laughs> welcome to episode Cruella. <laughs> <laughs> Cruella. This is the Fate of Black podcast. I'm Clarice Lockery.
1: I'm a mummer woman
0: and i'm hannah flint this week hannah's invited into the freudian nightmare that is infinity pool as she speaks to its director brandon cronenberg meanwhile will we marvel at shazam fury of the gods fall in love with Riley? lane and turn pearl into a star find (laughs) out in this week's reviews plus in our hot take we ruminate on the movie critic which is Quentin Tarantino's recently announced 10th and final, apparently, film. It might have to before be that title. That... <laughs> no comment. <laughs> but before any of that, do people want to say what they did this week before I start talking about The Mandalorian? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Don't you mean The Mandalorian?
0: Well, mm-hmm. also, the Oscars
2: happen, right? So, like, oh, Michelle Yeoh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> i moved on. It's the best <laughs> Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Please talk about the Oscars. No, I don't want to. I'm just happy Michelle Yeoh
2: won. That's all I get about. <laughs> <laughs> you
1: yeah. too. Yeah. I'm very happy for Michelle Yeoh. I'm very happy for Ki Hui Kwan. Um, that was awesome. Uh, even though, you know, as we discussed, the film was a bit hit and miss. I'm happy for Brendan Fraser. I'm um, don't know. i not. Colin Farrell is. should have got it.
0: I'm sorry, but I think that should have been <laughs> Colin Farrell's. I think it should have been Austin. I'm sorry. <laughs> wow. I'm sorry. Very,
1: very, very. This is interesting. Like, yeah, I just, I'm, the, the comeback story is cool for Brendan Fraser. He's in, I haven't met him, but he seems while accounts like a really, really good dude. Uh, Mm -hmm. So I'm happy for him. (sighs) Like, I'm going to preface this. I'm a big Jamie Lee Curtis fan. She's done a lot of films that I really, really like. I was really hoping Angela Bassett was going to win that award. And when that didn't happen, it frustrated me. And I know that there's a whole, like, no, she's due legacy with Jamie Lee Curtis, but the same narrative is true of Angela Bassett. And if we're just going on those two performances, I know which one had a sizably more impact on me than and which one which is still you no know, good but then like jamie lee curtis she's she's good she's good at everything everyone wants she's not even the best supporting actor role in her own movie uh so that's what i'm going to say about that um the the, the the other one the other oscar sort of thing which ticked me off justin Hurwitz's score for babylon is phenomenal Rudy Mama is one of the best tracks I've heard in like the last like day. It's so freaking good. For that to lose to All Quiet on the Western what? Front and score, what? you what? know, I just, I just
2: it make it. Every make it, time I giggle. I, I, where's it, like, where's I, the RRR people to dance him off?
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was great. The 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 the, the Naughty Naughty performance was fantastic. But honestly. Make it like I listened to the score all the way through just to double check. Am I missing something here? How are this? How is this happening? Aside it's from maybe two or three like tracks, I was art, thoroughly it's bored. It's
2: and not everyone has but the exact it, same it, opinions as a modern not, woman. When it
1: comes to this, it's objective because it's I just not objective. I can't.
2: It cannot be. Objective.
1: I, I can't fathom somebody listening to the Babylon score and then listening to the All Quiet on the Western Front score and then saying, you know what? I'm gonna vote for all... it. Doesn't, it doesn't make Amon? sense.
0: Well, I <laughs> think Adam you're it. making it the fatal mistake of assuming that people watched or listened to the Babylon School. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think that probably explains it. But it's still, um, it's the just the wumps have it. The wumps run. <laughs> <have one. laughs>
1: so yeah,
2: I will say, in your opinion about Jamie Lee Curtis and the Best Actor thing, actress thing. Mm. Yeah, I, I actually disagree with you. I think, as like I said before Ooh. last week, no, I mean, I said this last week, it's splitting hairs at this point. And actually, you could say as much that Angela Bassett, if Angela Bassett won that, it would have been a legacy one owed. Jamie Lee Curtis winning that, a legacy one owed, right? Do you know what I mean? Like, both of those actors. Are great, they're doing a totally different thing to so even compare their performances when the one's doing kind of like a dramatic while well, one's doing a comedy thing. It's you know what I mean? Like the no. school <sighs> of that houses. So and also to discount like Kerry Condon, Hong Chow, and Stephanie Shu and that, as if it's between those two. Honestly, it was I'm really not, splitting hairs. I, no, I'm
1: I'm not I'm I'm not discounting them at all. I think all of the performances are really great. I think it's a stat category. Jamie Lee Curtis it can. All, I, I've heard it be described, not necessarily that I all the all the way agree, with it, and I don't necessarily all the way agree with this, but I've heard Jamie Lee Curtis's performances be described as almost an extended cameo because she's not in the movie well, for is that, that what you long. Think? Well, so said, what? Judy Dench
2: was in it for like three it. minutes. She won best supporting actor in Shakespeare in Love. Neither
0: like, is Angela Bassett. She has. Angela Bassett can scene. almost
1: be the lead actress of the she... film before she goes no, out of the film. No,
0: wasn't that movie's two hours forty three minute. minutes?
2: And she has that amazing opening sequence, which is our Oscar sequence. And this is the thing, I'm telling you, I love her in this. She is amazing as Queen Ramonda, but like, I do feel like, again, it's splitting hairs. And I understand there's a whole thing as well. Like, you know, would I have preferred a black actress to have won that? Maybe yes. But also again, Jamie Lee Curtis has not, it's not like she hasn't had a storied history of doing roles and actually what she did with that character was, uh, was just transformative, I think.
3: Ah, but a again, story. again, it's putting
2: hair. So I, just, I, I think yeah, this idea right. that it's like, yeah. you know, Jamie Lee Curtis is not as deserving of it. She's only getting that. It's kind of like, well, you could use that same like argument about Angela Bassett for what she did in Thingy and the amount of time that she was in here. And do you know what I mean, that sort of thing. I don't know. And I don't want to make that argument because it kind of is kind of reductive to how great all of them are. And this is why it awards are shit yeah. because it creates losers out of people when actually every single performance. But Anna DeArmas was amazing.
1: <laughs> All I know is they made Angela Bassett upset, and that is a crime. Somebody should be arrested. End of.
0: Well, I think this is the problem with the like awards. Where we are with the like history of the Oscars now is that Angela Bassett should have won one like decades ago. <laughs>
3: Mm -hmm. And so
0: we have this, like, backlog of incredibly talented actors who haven't won anything because of, like, weird, well, not weird, just biases in the Academy. Um, So it's like, I I don't think her performance in Wakanda Forever ranks anywhere near the top of her best performances ever. Mm -hmm. But, like, that it's because that was the movie that had energy behind it for her being supporting actress and like had the campaign and the publicity. It's like it felt like everything was resting on this this movie where she had one incredible scene and then just did exposition for she, the rest of the movie. She had
1: more than she had like three! I don't, well I don't remember Okay. We've remember been talking for like season. 10 minutes
0: on this yeah. thing. Can we talk about the Mandalorian
1: now? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, Chris, the Mandalorian. Mandalorian.
0: Girl. When, yeah, Dr. Pershing was like, oh my God, it was a trap. And then they, like, crash zoom. <laughs> to the, um, yeah, oh, my God, oh what I love dogs. that. Um, Into the kind of... Um, oh my God, the, really exactly, the... the kind of little
2: at-ball creature.
0: <laughs> yes. What's the, um, it's the names? name of the food. What's the octopus brick? Calamari's. Calamari's, yeah,
2: that's <laughs> it, yeah, and it just um, stopped,
0: and the guy was like, "That pulls <sighs> us It was, it was, was sort of cringe, like i It was really stupid, but I, I, I don't know. But I really enjoyed the episode. I like that the Mandalorian was like, "I want what Andor has."
1: Yep. Sort of
0: like <laughs> slow down. Adult drama with like a hint of um like leftist politics in
2: it, but this is the yeah. thing. What I quickly, really quite like about this episode, and as someone who's been reading a lot of the kind of like Marvel comics that are in the Star Wars universe, where you get into the mm. kind of you know the kind of bureaucracy, the people who are outside of the Lost last Skywalker legacy, you know, people who are governors, who are kind of spies and moles. It's really interesting to present that. Like I thought that scene where they're talking about um, the four of the kind of like um, people who used to be empire and they're having a conversation about like what they miss and stuff like that mm. well, That was just like really great kind of storytelling. And, and it really felt, um, I don't know, one it kind of hits on the kind of the way that the American forces would take on German Nazis to, to into their own camps to try and get them to use their kind of, uh, expertise which is very much like based in real world situations that's often the case you know these people do awful things I think getting into the cloning stuff is like really interesting because it's like wait wait we we clones is <laughs> kind of a didn't work out the last time didn't work out for <laughs> anyone didn't work out for the Jedi I think that sort of stuff is really interesting because we're getting again it's like I really thought that Coruscant is such an interesting place of that like we kind of saw in the prequels but like getting into it now and seeing the actual like politics politics can play as it does in andor i think that makes for richer storyteller telling than making it just about like the rugged scavengers scavengers and you know heroes and villains no let's get into the people who are like just following orders
0: yeah and i think star wars is such like a an interesting space to explore like post fascist like like society like how does that work and how does how do we move on because it's like detached from real history so you can kind of like dig into the ideology of it without i guess feeling like you're going to be insensitive um which i think has always been the cool thing about star wars is that Mm. it's fantasy it's sci-fi but you can talk about real shit, which is quite Mm. cool
2: as i'm so excited for star wars celebration we're gonna be there are you going to be there, Mark? I.
1: unclear as of yet, but I'm hoping to be there.
2: Well, we hope they're going to do, do a little report back for Fade to Black. I'm also covering for Masterful UK, which is cool. I'm going to do like a report. Awesome. For them.
0: Clarice, are you covering for anywhere else? I will be covering for The Independent, and I will oh. also be doing a panel. Nice. 6 p. Yes, p. you will. On Friday. I think it's 6 p.m. Shit. Sure. <laughs> Oh well, let me try and make sure I get it in
2: my schedule, Clarice. I'd love to support. <laughs> I'll ask a question. The girl uh, for the, for the lady in the um, the Amelia <laughs> <Klobner laughs>
1: costume. <laughs> <laughs> um, just on the Mandalorian, because uh, I I too enjoyed the episode, although like this episode was fine for while, the wider storytelling for all the reasons you said i don't want this to become like the permanent thing on the mandalorian like have it be the mandalorian and not the mandalorian i could take one episode of that but that was not necessarily why i tune in for this particular show um and i enjoyed all the got the perching stuff um but you have to talk about mando itself all those segments with mando and bo katan and all the Fighting and but that was awesome. I really enjoyed that. And Bo joining uh Din Jarwin's clan, I did not see that coming at all. And I, I kind of did, really. interesting. I think, I think it's a very previously, interesting development.
2: Well, if you think about her history, she's previously gone to an extremist side, um, away from the kind of the pacifist nature, um, of her family. But no, I just think yeah. she's a she's a power player. And I think she mm. is lost. And I think sometimes she needs people behind her. And I think she adopts what it needs to be done to be in power again. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if there's some more double crossing later on. Oh, for
1: sure. I, she is the wild card of the entire she season. She is point. so wild.
2: I did really enjoy it when um when Grogu, when there's that bit amazing, one of the best actually. I really enjoyed that uh dogfight between the ties. It was
1: so good.
2: And that was great. I really
1: liked it. But the way like Grogu's
2: yeah. like presses the button, it's like it's like, well, not for me. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, Final <laughs> thing before we move on to the show. Ted Lasso is back. Uh, I've seen the first few episodes. It's really, really great. Yeah, except um, for that Field so, of Dreams yeah.
2: joke did not land at all. <laughs> Made no sense. <laughs> <laughs> Made no sense. I really enjoyed it, but like, there's no way a room full of sports journalists aged between like, I don't know, 20 and like 60 or something Aren't going to know the movie Field of Dreams by Kevin, like starring Kevin Cosner. It's like an iconic movie, especially like a sports movie. But they tried to do a joke as if no one in the room knew that movie. It's like bullshit. Bullshit!
1: It's now a bad time to say I haven't seen Field of Dreams.
2: No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, there's, uh... there's, there's some gaps, but again, <laughs> you're not a sports journalist. And honestly, that, that film. It's so famous. You you even know the words, don't you? Like if you build it, they will come. Like that's field of yeah, dreams, no, no. right? Come on. Like yeah, everyone. Yeah. You don't even have to see it to know that's the thing. You, that's what annoyed it. It's Like, oh mm. come on, this British American, like
0: oh, that's the reference and they make.
2: Oh. They basically yeah. if it says like something no, about court about like Kevin, dreams. like Kevin Costner in a cornfield, and everyone's like, what? And it's like, I guess baseball didn't transfer over here. It's like, everyone knows that film. Like everyone knows. <laughs> Isn't that like one of the most famous, like Films <laughs> of the '90s, right?
1: I love how much this has bothered you.
2: Right, <laughs> like, yeah, I just, yeah, I just, I just think they, I think it's one of those things where there's a lot of things where they try and do like the the difference between between America, like transatlantic kind of com- humor and that like, kind of the what what they don't get about each other. It's like everyone, literally, Kevin Cosner is universal. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah no i need to i need to watch that film i've only heard good things
0: (laughs) well a movie that we've all watched and will be discussing next week is infinity pool but this week got a little interview
3: i don't understand why
0: we're doing this we barely know these people
4: it's one day let's mix things up a bit
0: You're just happy you found your fan club. I've been waiting six years for your second book. Is it coming out soon?
4: I'm working on it. What do you do for money then?
0: You married
1: Rich.
4: (laughs) (laughs) I actually came here looking for inspiration.
2: My windows look into your infinity pool and spend the afternoon on top of you. (laughs) That is, I don't know if anyone knows Keegan and Sarah. The song is actually living room, but you know, jokes must. <laughs> I don't know. I hate that. Thank you so much. While staying at an isolated island resort, James and M are enjoying a perfect vacation: of pristine beaches, exceptional staff, and soaking up the sun. Guided by the seductive and mysterious Gabby, they venture outside the resort grounds and find themselves in a culture filled with violence, hedonism, and untold horror. And untold horror. A tragic accident leads them facing a zero tolerance policy for crime. Either you'll be executed, or if you're rich enough to afford it. You can watch yourself die instead. Written and directed by Brandon Cronenberg. It stars Alexander Skarsgård, Mia Goff, and Cleopatra Coleman. So as Chris mentioned, we've got a review of the film next week. But for now, you can check out my interview with Brandon. Uh, Yeah, he was actually a really, really chill, cool do- dude. Uh Got into the inspirations for it. J.G. Ballard was something he's reading at the time. We're talking about working with... Alexandra Skarsdard and Mia Goff who is of course becoming like the most uh, uh intriguing screen queens go- going
1: uh Clarice. that yeah. Clarice is making love signs yeah,
2: yeah. i think yeah. we've uh, i think we've got heart eyes for uh Mia Goff so uh well, let's stop uh what's it called beating around the bush here's Brandon oh Brandon welcome to the fate of that podcast um I'm so excited to speak to you about this because I came away and was like, "Ah, oh, that was a ride." What did I just watch? I'm still trying to get grab get my head around it. I suppose as a filmmaker and as an artist, is that what you kind of like hope for when you kind of a person leaves the movie? Is that they're still thinking about it like weeks after?
4: I mean, it's it's. I hope that anyone even just sees it in the first place. Honestly, when I'm <laughs> when I'm making a movie, um, yeah. You, it, it's hard to know if anyone's going to show up. It's hard to <laughs> hard to know what people's reactions are, are going to be. But certainly if it if uh, the film has any kind of meaning to anybody, if if it's uh, of enough value that they uh, keep thinking about it afterwards, then that's that's obviously uh, a great and rare thing.
2: So with this one, your third feature, would you say there's a through line between um, Antiviral Possessor and Infinity Pool that kind of is where you wanna be or kind of what you wanna say as an artist, as a filmmaker?
4: Not deliberately. Um, I, I mean, I have my own interests and my own creative impulses and, I, and I'm sort of following uh, following those on, on a film by film basis. Um, I'm not trying to sculpt some kind of brand filmography. I, I'm not, you know, I, I can't really think about it uh, in terms of, of that kind of uh, overall or, or the through lines. I, I think that's stuff that might make sense in retrospect looking at it but it's the the, the thread is just that it's the stuff that i happen to be thinking about i suppose
2: so what you're saying is if i re- if i if i rewind all your films there's not going to be a secret message <laughs> <Let's
4: tell you. laughs> well there might, there might be a secret <laughs> message but I, it's a secret to me as well i don't
2: and <laughs> um, so infinity pool um uh, as someone who has been on one of those like all-inclusive like kind of holidays where you're in those kind of resorts you do a lot of activities but like don't go outside then you might not be safe yeah can you tell me a little bit more about that kind of inspiration and where the ideas came to tell this story through James Foster and through a, a writer as well
4: sure sure um I guess it was a number of things the the initial uh, initially it was a short story I was writing actually that didn't have anything to do with that it was it was just the the the, ex, the first execution scene so it was just a, a short piece that i never finished uh because I, i'm a terrible prose writer but uh it was about someone in this fictional country watching a double of himself being executed and having these thoughts about who he is and punishment and, and that kind of thing um when i expanded it into a feature i kept coming back to thoughts i had uh of a all-inclusive vacation i took 20 years ago was the only time i i did that uh, in the dominican republic and it was to me a very surreal and menacing experience because they would bus you in in the middle of the night you wouldn't see any of the surrounding country at all they just (laughs) dropped you into this resort compound which was surrounded by razor wire fence that was sort of loosely disguised by palm leaves somehow the the failure to disguise the razor wire made it even more sinister it, it it felt really dystopian and weird uh and there was a fake town that you could shop in and and you know the chinese restaurant from the film and the scene on the beach with the atv actually happened and um but you weren't allowed to leave and, you, and then at the end of this week they bust you back in the day and you see the surrounding areas intensely poverty stricken and uh that contrast is obviously horrible and stuck with me. But also, uh, it was such a surreal experience because you realize you've never been to the country. You've never, you know, you're you've just been dropped into this weird alternate Disneyland version of the country and some uh, some alternate dimension that sprung up like a, a fungus. Uh, and I guess that that seemed like a good uh, in, a good environment for a story about people operating without conventional consequences.
2: I like the little bits where you have like, um, you know, locals, but they're doing, they're like a, a specific, like an Asian restaurant and they're all dressed up in like very over the top, like very cultural appropriation type of outfits and stuff. And you kind of nail those little like idiosyncrasies of, of, of these places. Was that quite, building that world up and having those little inflections that kind of maybe get, that might seem a bit over the top, but actually it's quite realistic going there. How is that working with like production designers and people on your team to kind of build the world that's quite clinical
4: <laughs> right, I mean, yeah, as you say that that aspect of it is out of reality. I mean, the Chinese restaurant uh, at this resort looked like that that's what they were it was an entirely white staff dressed exactly like they were in the film, so it it you know it runs with it a little bit into uh into kind of satirical exaggeration as the film goes on, but that that is out of reality um, the, from a production design perspective, uh, you know it was uh. It was interesting and fun. I mean, my production designer on it was Zosha McKenzie, who, who's brilliant. And uh, you know, we were working with some very weird and satisfying locations, and then building on top of them. So, for instance, the resort we shot at is a resort in Croatia that was built during communism, and the, the, the there was always a bit of an Eastern Bloc uh, kind of riff in in the script, a little bit, but it mm-hmm. it. it uh, was affected by the real world histories of, of these countries in the real world, uh, you know, the actual communist histories, the Volgas, you know, the, the, the police driver, uh, the cars that communist politicians would drive in Hungary, we shot half in Hungary, half in Croatia, that Croatian resort was built during communism initially. And so it has this very intense, brutalist, uh, striking brutalist structure uh, at the base of it. There's a sister resort up the coast that we sadly never got to visit, but I've seen photos of it because it's in disrepair. And, and it's this like brilliantly uh, you know, brilliantly post-apocalyptic landscape. Uh, but this one was bought by a Croatian, uh, a rich Croatian who decided to turn it into a resort where each section represented a different part of Croatia. And so it, it's actually even weirder in reality. <laughs> Than it was in the film. There's like a child's hotel with a giant octopus on it, and this fake Dalmatian village, and this sort of sexy swingers club, and then a you know, it, it was a strange collage. So we started with all this great stuff—an old communist power station and all these uh, locations—and then Zosha took what's there and was able to to use that as inspiration to to expand on it and.
2: Was giving the uh, giving like the place, the country, kind of a fake name and keeping it very abstract part of hey, we don't want to get <laughs> make uh, like upset anyone because it's quite difficult, isn't it? Like I look, think about like Top Gun Maverick and how they go to great lengths <laughs> not to reveal who the enemy is. They got like you can't see their face. It's like I mean, I think it's Iran, but we don't want to <laughs> we don't want to create drama. It's part of like not um, creating a fictional kind of world, which speaks to a lot of things. It's kind of we don't want to t- like tarnish these places with a bunch of false impressions.
4: Well, it, it was sort of in the nature of the narrative, because if you look at something like White Lotus, you know, they do a thematically related thing in real world locations. And it works because, uh, you know, you have the Hawaiians and their perspective and then you have the tourists and, and this sort of clash. And you can, you know, I, I think you can do that stuff without tarnishing, without tarnishing, and that that's one angle you can take but in this film the entire premise was the strange cloning technology that's sort of a sci-fi but sort of it's almost more like magic realism in a way because it's, mm. it, it really makes sense you know it's a kind of realistic setting with this one absurd twist that sets everything yeah. into motion and so it would have been strange to try to insert that into an existing culture, you know, <laughs> if it was like in the Caribbean, but they had sci fi cloning technology, uh, that would have been very weird. And then yes, the, the culture is obviously incredibly brutal. And so, to you know, uh, it's less about Offend, not offending people and more about not turning it into an unintentional weird commentary on one specific culture where, where that wasn't the, the intention
2: you mentioned white lotus there a lot of people saying this is calling this white Lotus for sickos how do you feel about that label it,
4: you know it's fine I mean, <laughs> I mean white lotus is very successful so that that's nice of them um i think they're i think they're different they, they share dna obviously there, there's you know some of the uh, you know, there's a there's a wave of satire that's sort of related in in terms of its social commentary. I think Infinity Pool is part that, but also part another thing. I, I don't know if it's uh, it, it's it's related to those films and, and that series on a certain level, and that's fine. I, I'm not you know that's that, that's great. If it gets
2: people in, if it gets bums on seats,
4: <laughs> if it gets bums on seats. It's just if they, if they go in expecting White Lotus, the bums are going to be yeah. a little bit confused.
2: Because I did not come away thinking, oh, this feels like a white, like in the most barest sense of, this is taking place at a resort. um, It's about kind of eat the rich privilege. Um, But I thought it's really interesting. I think about like doppelgangers as I I think like Edgar Allan Poe and then you look at like the prestige about the cloning and kind of, uh, was there anything that you took inspiration from when you were kind of designing the machinations of how you wanted this cloning theme to run through?
4: Not specifically. I mean, I like those stories and, and you know, I've grown up watching those films and reading those stories. And, and so, you know, they're, they're in my brain somewhere. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't specifically a riff on, on those things. I mean, they, they kind of were, I don't know how to, I don't know how to cite my inspirations because they all just sort of mash up together into a weird kind of loaf uh, that I keep at the back of my brain and gnaw on like a rat as I'm, as I'm working, you know, it's not, um, it, it's usually not something so specific. Um,
2: I suppose when you consume so much, like take in and watch so many things, it's hard, like you watch so much that to even pinpoint it when that's really kind of what your interests are.
4: Yeah. I mean, some, but the thing is, some people are great at answering that question. I mean, <laughs> some people are total <laughs> cinephiles and they love to say, you know, this is the the movie that I took this from and that, you know, yeah. um, I was reading the later novels of J.G. Ballard at the time and and some of their you know they're thematically related even though they're not uh they're not science fiction and they don't have to do with with doubling. I was reading um a collection of essays on on personal identity you know the, the there's the tradition of the personal identity philosophers who write about what it is to be uh what it is to even conceive of ourselves as a singular entity that Exists throughout time what it is to be even a thing or or to to be Mm. a person is identifiable in in the face of change and uh that sort of crept crept into it i guess but it wasn't yeah it it, wasn't drawing from one particular source
2: i mean you mentioned jd ballad i was thinking oh yeah this does feel like like there's a coldness in this film that reminds me of like high rise like this you know i mean that sort of element of it um um, I, I mean, it'd be remiss of me not to talk about your amazing cast. And also, like, I just love that the Skarsgårds as a family of like, oh, we'll we'll get it. We all do fucked up shit. We're all just absolute weirdos, like <laughs> in everything. Like, you know what I mean? They're the most, like, beautiful family, but also like, yeah, we're the sickles, Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, so Alexander, I mean, Alexander Skarsgård, I love that because I feel like he has the combat against being like, look, I'm a really hot guy, but also... I um, can go dark places tell me a bit about working with him on this film
4: yeah I mean it's it's a uh, you know a great problem to have as a (laughs) as a director if you've got (laughs) like you know he the thing is he's a brilliant actor and he can do Hollywood leading man stuff because he has the look and the charisma and the screen presence and he does do some of that stuff and you know and and that's its own talent. You know, I'm not not knocking that. It's hard to, not everyone can do that. But he's way more interesting than that, as you say. And he really likes contorting himself into these monstrous characters and pushing himself to these really extreme places. And so working with him is a delight because he really wants to go there uh, actively. It's It's not like taking someone who's worried about how he looks because he's a polished Hollywood star and trying to convince him to wear a dog collar. You know, he's going to, you know, he insists on being walked <laughs> with the dog <laughs> collar. The Q and As in New York, you know what I mean? Like he <laughs> he really, uh, he really loves that stuff and and wants to go there. So it's it's great. And and for this the film in particular, it was helpful because it meant that James as a character could look like he stepped out of a resort brochure at at the start of the film. And have that kind of quality to them, but then also completely transform into this this sort of creature by the end of it. And and not not a lot of actors can pull off both sides of that.
2: I also think there's there's something about, you know, when you have someone who looks like a matinee idol, but there's a monstrosity in there that actually feels Far more realistic because we always want or like far more compelling because we we always expect like the the so quote, unquote bad guys to look like ugly but actually when you have it, some of that that's quite perverse you're like oh you're no one is safe
4: <laughs> absolutely which is also more realistic I mean it's it's uh yeah <laughs> there's there's a long history of of ugliness or imperfection being a sign of of you know uh poor morals or, or whatever I've been in, in art but actually the, the the greater danger is the perfect sociopath. You know, yeah,
2: Patrick so. Bateman, like, <laughs> exactly, yeah. like all that. um exactly. and, and Mia Goth. I mean, just there's that bit, and I'm sure so many people talked about this, but there's that bit where she's like screaming at the bus, it's like passengers off the bus, get off, and it's like James. There's something about her that's just she just she is becoming like not you know com, you know restrict her to this box, but when it comes to kind of like horror tinged, psychologically tinged, she's really cornered that market. What what is it about her that she just because again from ex pearl like cure for wellness, what is it about her as an actor actor and her process that makes her so um, perfectly suited to these sort of stories?
4: I, you know, I don't. I think she's. It's just that she's a brilliant actress. <laughs> you know, like I, I'd wanted to work with her since I saw her in Infomaniac, she's just like, you know, one of those performers who in everything just exp- explodes through the screen and, and has that visceral hard to articulate thing that some actors have where you you can't help but be completely compelled and fascinated every time they, they show up. Um, so I've been wanting to work with her for years. I was thrilled that, that she wanted to do the film. Uh, she hadn't come out with X or Pearl yet. She was actually in the middle of shooting Pearl in in, in New Zealand when we first spoke, and uh, she did those films back to back. So uh, I didn't know what those were going to be, and it, it's sort of a uh, an in- an interesting coincidence that this is you know a part of a, a string of, of horror films uh, that she's done recently. But I mean, she will she will say. Uh, and I know this because we've done a bunch of press together <laughs> that, that she chooses her projects, not based on genre, but based on uh, liking the filmmaker and liking the character. And so I think these characters across you know, Ty West films and and my film, I think, gave her uh, an opportunity to do something really satisfying. You know, obviously, for, for someone like that, there's a, a juiciness to having uh, to being able to go off like that with with these kinds mm-hmm. of characters, I don't think she's seeking out horror films specifically. It just <laughs> she's seeking out characters, and I don't think her talents uh, are horror specific either. Even though that's sort of her reputation right now, she just uh, she just is one of those limitless, fearless actors who will go there, and that can be very useful mm-hmm. in in a genre context working with her was great she she's really uh actually incredibly sweet (laughs) and lovely on set and and easy and collaborative and and that you know with the bus scene for instance we'll roll the camera we were rolling the camera she would run up to the bus and sort of slap the windows and antagonize Alex in the windows and sort of taunt him just to get herself amped up go into the car we'd shoot the shot she would do this incredible thing and then afterwards she's just you know doesn't bring that into Mm. her the set up she's just completely sweet and great
2: I mean it doesn't it when you look at the most like extreme moments in the film um you know especially later on again I don't want to reveal too much for the listeners but um you know are there moments where like trying to you know wrangle everything like people break, there might be a few giggles and a few laughs, but as people like, how many t- takes did it take to get through all of those kind of scenes?
4: Fortunately, not many. <laughs> we were on a pretty tight shooting schedule, to be honest, for For what we were trying to do. It wasn't, it was 25 days. And um, yeah, I mean, everyone, was <laughs> they're just very professional. So there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of breaking. There was a lot of fun. You know, it's fun to shoot a horror film people often ask how you dealt with the heaviness of the, the graphic scenes and the and the blood and the, you know, when you're shooting that stuff, it on set, it's actually just ridiculous. It's not, you know, there's, there's nothing heavy about it because it, you're shooting this three second shot of Alex yelling while someone's just off frame, pumping blood through a tube and it's spurting <laughs> everywhere. And it's like playing Halloween, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's not in practice heavy um but yeah it wasn't uh if uh, (laughs) i don't know if anybody broke broke down laughing you know everyone everyone was you know pretty they're all they're all pros and just sort of just sort of
2: (laughs) absolutely well thank you so much for chatting to me um hopefully more than white lotus fans will come and see it (laughs) obviously your fans as well (laughs) thank you so much
4: Thanks so much, Tinker. A lot has changed in the last few years. The wizard gave me superpowers. Shazam! And then everybody got superpowers.
1: started from the bottom now, we're here. Alright, here's the situation. Started from the bottom, not a whole
4: team here. The daughters of Atlas are coming to hunt us. The children stole the power of the gods. Shazam! You ripped it from our father's core. Okay, I feel like maybe I should be writing all this down. Give us the powers, child. Your world will not survive this. You want these powers? Come get them! Hey!
1: Where have all the good men gone and where are all the gods? Where's the streetwise Hercules to fight the rising odds? Isn't there a white night Upon a fiery steed mm. Late at night I toss and I turn And I dream of what I need I, yeah, I need a hero God, that's, that's, that's what Shrek I 2 to right now <laughs> Oh,
2: okay <laughs>
1: Now
2: I get why you know all the words of that song <laughs> <laughs>
1: Look, Shrek Two is a banger, and I will hear no word of a lie. Hey man, that. no, don't, um, make,
2: don't get me wrong. Like Shrek, is where I learned so many songs. I know all the words to Smash Mouth All Star because of Shrek. <laughs> Live in the vida loca,
0: but then I always yes. think the song starts with "It's Puss and Donkey All," which.
1: Is <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're telling me it doesn't? LIES I TELL YOU! LIES! Uh, let's talk Shazam! Exclamation mark, the fury of the gods. Bestowed with the power of the gods, Billy Batson and his fellow foster kids are still learning how to juggle teenage life with their adult superhero alter egos When a vengeful trio of ancient gods arrive on Earth in search of the magic stolen from them long ago, Shazam and his allies get thrust into a battle for their superpowers, their lives, and the fate of the world this is directed once again by david f sandberg returning for the sequel and written by henry gayden and chris morgan and it stars zachary levi asher angel jack dylan grazer rachel zegler adam brody ross butler megan good lucy lou jiman honsu and helen mirren quite a stat i find it really Grace. weird that they
2: call, call keep calling him jiman honsu
1: Jimon, right? Did I pronounce it wrong?
2: No, they all say it that way. And I think it's one of those things where um you know how people say call you Amen and it's a Mon. Yes.
1: Right? <laughs> I do. Because I was like double
2: checking <laughs> online and stuff, it's like Jimon. But they all say Jimon and mm. they're like that. And I feel like it's an Americanism. Mm. I so, don't know. I think but he I think he's the type yeah, of person where he's so think... used to people saying his name incorrectly that it's like Jimon, Jimon, yeah. whatever you want. I called him Jimon. Yeah. When so I, I also it.
0: feel like Jimon is how a French person would say right. it. So it might just be yeah. like the Americanized. No,
2: well, isn't it like, what is it called? Is it, it Dijon, <laughs> Dijon, G, Dijon, Jimon. And it's like Simon. Like they pronounce it like Simon. They're pronouncing it. Exactly. But you'd
0: say in French. You'd say Simon. Situation. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm. Anyway, Anyway, it's not on I you. I no idea how to pronounce this name anymore. <laughs>
0: I think I think English speakers would say Jaimon, right? Yeah, okay.
1: but I think French speakers would say Jimon. Yeah. Jimon. Okay. Jimon. Good to know. A big fan of his, obviously, Gladiator, Blood Diamond, even though that has issues. Um, but he's always very, very good. We will get on to him in due course. But first, I want to talk to you guys about what you thought about the first Shazam in 2019. Clarice.
0: I didn't watch it in 2019. I watched it four days ago. (laughs) Oh, wow.
1: Fresh in your mind. Okay. What did you think?
0: I have my reasons why I didn't watch it. I won't go into them. But um, I thought it was fine. I fell asleep very briefly.
1: (laughs) That does not suggest that you thought it was fine.
0: It was totally fine. It was totally fine. Um, I can see why in 2019 it would have felt quite refreshing because DC was in its like dark period, dark gritty period, Mm. and it's very sweet and um, I enjoyed like the, all the kids together, the foster kids are really cute, Um, but I think if I had seen it in 2019, I would have gone into this not remembering what happened. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of glad I watched it for the first time recently
1: mm. Hannah, did you, did you remember what happened?
2: Yeah, I thought it was great I loved it, I thought it really um, you know, in a way it's like it's kind of like the Ant-Man
3: of the um, <laughs> Yeah,
2: I feel like yeah. it's the Ant-Man of the DC thing, so I kind of like the irreverence of it, the kind of knowingness I like the fact that it felt like teenagers being superheroes um, it has that kind of Goonies sort of quality. You know what I mean? That kind of really childlike wonder, but also balancing it with a quite, you know, quite um you no know, scary tone. You know, I feel like it's real worst stakes. And I I really enjoy I really enjoyed it. I liked that it was quite scrappy. I liked how scrappy it was. And also I liked how like um campy it looked as well. It looked quite mm. bright. Yeah. And kind of like poppy.
1: Yeah, and that's something which they absolutely carry on into the sequel, which I definitely did dig, especially when you consider the other movies in the DCU and their issues with <laughs> colour at times. It's nice to see a brightly lit superhero movie. Um, let's talk about Billy Batson. I really liked his arc in this. You know, imposter syndrome is something which everyone on planet Earth, uh, unless you're a small child probably, can <laughs> relate to. Um, and that is absolutely what Billy is going through uh in this film how do you feel that arc progresses over the course of the film do you find it effective did you find it not effective what do you what say you please I um
0: I'm I'm gonna be honest I don't I did and I had this issue with the first Shazam I don't think conceptually the the Billy Batson Shazam divide I mean i i'm gonna call him shazam the zachary levi yeah. thing that he turns into do. mm-hmm. i don't think the billy batson shazam divide actually works because mm. uh asher angel's performance as billy batson is like a normal ass teenager right he's just like acting normal <laughs> and then when they switch to zachary levi he's like what middle-aged screenwriters think teenagers act like. So it's like so exaggerated. He's like, Mm. yeah, man, yeah, dude, whatever. Oh, this is stupid. Duh. And it's like that there's such a disconnect between Billy Batson and Shazam that I really struggled, especially in this movie, to have any engagement with him emotionally as a character, because I think especially in this one, you don't really see much of billy Batson. and it's mostly shazam and i feel like the screenwriters with this movie went jack dylan Grays is a really good actor we're gonna make him do everything <laughs> like that kid is acting his pants off it's insane like he's carries that entire movie
2: and there's a real good sync up with him and Adam Brody because he basically feels like a Seth Cohen.
3: <laughs> he feels like <laughs> Seth Cohen. Yes, yeah.
2: And they have the same voice. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I, and and Gillian Glazer, Glazer is exactly like that in real life. <laughs> He's just like nonstop. When hmm. I was doing an interview with him and Asher Angel, at one point Asher's like, you just don't stop talking. <laughs>
1: it's like, <laughs> he really does not like,
2: But I have, to, you know what? I agree with you, Clarice. There is a somewhat disconnect, but I want, and maybe my 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 good faith uh, read of that is the idea that when you you can be a different person when you're in a superhero when you've got a cape. Maybe the Billy Batson once he's got all these powers and yeah. feels all this strength, he has actually a far more he's loosened himself. And I think you know that's the same with people who are like can go he's playing a character he's playing the character of shazam he's playing he's acting as a superhero and that feeds into the imposter syndrome it's like some people who get into acting are really shy in real life but then when they get on stage when they're doing another role playing a role they can just be the most brash people so i think maybe that's what it is but i totally agree with you they seem very different i will say there's a closer together they bring themselves closer together in this film i think because obviously is the character Billy is getting older. And I actually think the strongest mm-hmm. th- the strongest thread is less about the imposter syndrome. I would say I'm more about this sense of um, the family and, and adopted family and the yeah. sense of like, am I going to be kicked out and feeling mm-hmm. like an outsider in that way? And I think that was really quite, um, I felt that quite moving, especially towards the end. And like that, I mean, there's a scene where with his like on-screen mother, you know, it's like, oh god! Then he like, there's a sucker. He gets like calls her mom, and it's like, oh, <laughs> they're mm. just so lovely. They just want to be family, and it all gets together. And I think mm. for me, I think that's the kind of strongest, like, I suppose the, you know, the quite the heart, the core of the story that it does very well.
1: Yeah, totally agree with everything you just said, uh, cosign. Let's talk about the villains. The Sisters, the daughters of Atlas, uh, played by one Rachel Zegler, my fave, uh, Helen Mirren, and Lucy Liu, um, an interesting trio. I'm going to focus on Rachel Zegler for the moment because that character is <laughs> 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 like i look i look this I'll, i'm gonna be very proud about this when it comes to virtual Zegler, i'm a bit of a fanboy i think she's incredible it's insane that she's only she's 21 great. years old and she's doing all the things she's doing there i said it um but i think it's very interesting with her character and thea she don't quite know where her allegiance lies for a good portion of the film and i thought it was very interesting what they were doing with that i'm not sure all the way worse given what happens on her watch (laughs) that she just basically doesn't do anything for for a couple of scenes especially in the early going but i thought it was really interesting because it allowed that character to play in both worlds with the Shazamali, as they have called themselves apparently and with the goddesses and jiman honsu as well what did you make of that character please
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> wow and we're gonna go to hannah No, i i didn't again i i feel like the characters in this for me i just didn't i felt like there was no development that i could latch on to because there was no space for me really for the movie to establish itself tonally yeah. um because Obviously, we know what the first Shazam was like. It was, yeah, it was meant to be the Ant- You're so right. It's the Ant-Man. And then Mm -hmm. I feel like this one, they kind of didn't really carry over that very much. And instead, this is more veering into the Black Adam, um, people like yelling exposition at each other in very dimly lit sets. I couldn't see much for a lot of it. (laughs) Uh, And so I think with like those three sisters, the relationship between them was so submerged under layers of backstory about like their relationship with humanity and like the mortal realm and the god realm and how they interacted and if there was some sort of like strife between them in the past which is like, obviously, none of it was accurate to Greek mythology, but I'll give it a pass. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but you
1: know, oh, like, cool. there I was so... it took you that long to mention it. I'm oh,
0: sorry. I'm <laughs> sorry. And they went into a labyrinth. And I know there's a minotaur in the movie, but they went into a labyrinth and there wasn't a minotaur in the labyrinth. That upset me. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> but do you do you get what I mean? Like there's so there's they spend so much time in this movie explaining shit instead of like actually focusing on like character relationships and 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 human emotions (laughs) and I don't Mm -hmm. understand why any of those sisters were doing what they were doing by the end it felt very arbitrary that like one sister is going to act this way and be representative of like this moral choice this sister is going to represent this moral choice and this sister will represent this moral choice and I don't know if you guys could tell me like why any of those women made the decisions that they made because like we didn't understand enough about them right yeah but i think it was pretty okay, i kind of understood one was like angry it's like fuck these
2: fuck these they stole our powers away they killed everyone and now our, our bloody world is ruined it's like she's obviously calypso that sort of edge in it where she's like no nonsense i'm a bit more like selling then you've got like the helen mirror hephaestus who is more like I'm the leader, I'm wiser, and I'll do what it takes, like, to get what I need back. And Ananthea, who's like the younger one, is like, maybe we should understand humans more. <laughs> you know what I mean? It seemed like, thing is, you're right, I think they're pretty textbook. They're pretty textbook kind of nymph-like characters. Uh, you're right, I don't think there's a lot to them, but I think it did enough for me. I understood exactly why they were making those choices in those situations. Because, mm-hmm. again, I think it gets into, like, what's the fundamental thing is, like, the Shazam family get their powers because their powers were stolen from gods. <laughs> it's like, wait a sec, oh mm. God, no wonder people are mad. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Mm, like, no wonder yeah. they've got an excuse to be mad, and then they do bad stuff with it. I think it kind of like feeds into that like, the Wonder Woman kind of church of it, which of course you know makes sense as it goes in. And again, like it's, I, I'm not, I, I don't get mad about the mythical stuff when it's already creating its own myth- mythos. Do you know what I mean? It's own, it's creating its like. Mytho- own Mythology based on mythology rather than saying this is a carbon copy. So, again, I don't, I don't, that doesn't lose score, that doesn't lose points for me, but I totally understand like where you're coming from and if it didn't work for you.
0: Mm. I was joking about the like not accurate. It's not the reason I just, but were you though?
1: <laughs> but were <what laughs> you though? No, because
0: <laughs> like Moon Knight changes a lot of shit about ang- ancient Egyptian mm. mythology and I'm mm. like, cool oh, with that. I'm just joking. Yeah, but that's that starts Oscar Isaac.
1: That's yeah. what it's this film needed for Camille's to like it. Oscar Isaac was not in the film, therefore he's Yeah, his film and more stars. of the
0: characters should have been mentally <laughs> ill. That's my problem with this.
2: <laughs> I really liked all the mythical creatures. I mean, I love Greek mythology mm. and Roman mythology. And so I thought it was quite fun. And I liked the way they riffed on again and making it fun for kids. I sometimes forget about this as well. It's like, you no. Know, these are children, car- children characters, and this is, you know, 12A or whatever. Young kids are going to watch it. And I think there's some really great yeah. moments in there that I'm sure some little girls going to be like, oh, my God, that's so funny. Mm. That's a really well-handled version yes. of it. Yes, it's very yes. knowing, and it kind of cheesy. I quite like the campness of, like, the devorishness of these, like, the goddesses who were kind of, like, had no time for japes. <laughs> they were like, we mean business. <laughs> you guys need to stop making jokes. And I really like the way Helen Mirren just beat the shit out of everyone as well.
1: Yeah, That was quite fun yeah. to watch that was, that was one of the best scenes Let's talk about the action a little bit Before we move on Um, it, it definitely has that third act issue That many superhero movies have Which is just big old lightning Thunder, all the rest of it There's also one scene <laughs> It felt very weird Given what was going on But basically all hell has broken loose on the city And they've noted that and then they have like a good two to three minute sequence where it's a really emotional heart-to-heart moment. I'm like, how many people are dying while they're doing this? <laughs> oh, That's yeah. If you're in Philadelphia, who <laughs> cares? Yeah, that, that does. I really hate that.
0: It's like, move on.
1: Yeah. 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 That doesn't matter. Um, do. um, do. There is but,
0: scrappy people, the Philadelphia. They take care of themselves. <laughs> I'm allowed to say yeah. that because my family's from there. And one thing I will say, I noticed compared the
2: Ant-Man comparisons... I like that it most of the action does take place in Philadelphia, in the city. Yeah. Some people, like mm-hmm. real people, are getting killed in very quite uh, nasty ways, and I think that mm-hmm. may great that real world states there. That I think sometimes we've been lacking in other things. You know, when you take the action so far away, yes, they have a few kind of sojourns into the, the kind of random worlds, and it'd be interesting. Well, now they've got the cabinets, the doors, and stuff like that. What worlds to go into? Um, I've been reading some Shazam comics and that could make for some really interesting future
0: storytelling. I, yes. Well, I I like conceptually what you're saying, Hannah, about showing off Philadelphia, but I I did notice that half of the fights took place in warehouses um, and it made it look like Philadelphia was mostly warehouses, which it's not. <laughs> and I would have loved to have seen like a, because I guess, I don't think they actually shot for the most part in philadelphia so it would have been nice to have like seen <laughs> more of the mm-hmm. city because it's actually a really nice city what and do I- you want I- there was a bridge
2: there's the,
0: there's the baseball. I, ridge, I've seen so the many film, and, and baseball play. fields. It's the same three locations <laughs> in every superhero movie. They find it a You're warehouse. Right. They save a collapsing bridge, and then some shit happens at a baseball. And field of course, where the baseball field starts collapsing. Like I just, I'm begging for a fourth location. <laughs> I did really enjoy the specific product placement of that specific Philly oh cheesesteak as well. Is that the best? Oh, one? I thought you were going to talk I mean, about the Skittles.
1: That's what. No. Let, 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 let's let's say let's set that for spoiler section. Um...
0: That's not a spoiler. That there's an ad for Skittles. It's yeah, on the Skittles is. Twitter account right now. That one of the characters looks into the camera and says, "Taste the rainbow."
2: <laughs>
1: they do. And, and
2: awesome. I cackled. <laughs> The thing is, there's always going to be product placement in movies. I think it's
0: really funny when
2: they do it in such a cheesy way like that, where
0: it's like, oh, Mm. this is so lame, but I love it. But the Philly cheesesteak, I don't think it was a real place. I didn't recognize that name. It
2: just seemed like it was, I don't know if it's like
0: a, yeah, that's why I was
2: interested. I didn't know if it was like a real place or not. Anyway, sorry. Mm. Not one of the famous Uh, ones.
1: Let's go to our. verdicts on shazam the fury of the gods clarice should people taste this fury
0: no i'm sorry (laughs) skip which i always feel like i have to clarify this dc has made some of my favorite comic book movies but when they make a comic movie I don't like, I I it gives me a headache. I don't know why. There's something about the way this and like Black mm-hmm. Adam, how they were shot, I literally had a headache at the end.
1: <laughs> but can I'm we sorry. agree at least that this is a better movie than Black Adam? Because my gosh.
0: Oh yeah, it was it made more sense. <laughs> I vaguely understood what was happening. Um so I will give the movie points for that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I will say something nice about The Rock. His suit for the Oscars was fire. I did love that. Um, I you love
0: don't have, have to
4: say
2: that I just because like he made Black a Annie. shit movie. Like that <laughs> gave no way
1: points. I know. I just want it on record because it was a fire suit. Uh, Hannah, is this a fire movie?
2: I uh, yeah. I had so much fun with it. I thought it was great. I had a, re- a really great time. Great time.
1: Are you screening or streaming? Screening. Hmm, I'm going to say screen. Uh, because Rachel Zegler is the best. Um <laughs> <no>. <laughs> I'm gonna say screen. I did have a solid time with this. Um if we're gonna if you, if you were gonna do star ratings, I'd probably put it a high three. Uh be around the same as the first movie. Both very both very enjoyable, but not ones which are gonna be in the upper echelon of any superhero movie rankings list that I may do in the future. Uh Hannah Clarice I know you wanted to talk a little bit of spoilers so if you have not watched this film yet and you're keen to skip ahead to the next section this is why we put this timestamps on because we love you and we want to help you out so if you have not seen the film skip ahead if you have seen the film and you want to talk spoilers Hannah take it away
2: so I'm just so. Amon's <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> hand gestures were so intense. I loved it. I thought he was about to like drop us, drop some of the hottest bars. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, Wonder Woman was the spoiler, isn't it? In this one, which kind of makes sense. Few yes. of the gods. She is a god. I have to say, mm-hmm. um, I really liked that she turned up at the end, and I, ha- I, re- I think Gal Gadot really sold that she's in mourning. She looks so sad. <laughs> She just looks mm. so sad, after, and it's just like, oh my girl. What did you think, Clarice? Didn't you think she kind of captured this kind of like lonely person? Steve's Ooh, gone. What's
0: she sad about?
2: Oh, because he's. Steve. So Steve. <laughs> Steve.
3: <laughs> Steve. It's been a while. Been <gasps> oh, Get over it, girl. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, I, I the her theme was very loud when she turned up. <laughs>
1: Oh i like... o-
0: That entire scene felt like a wrestling entrance, and I feel like someone off screen should have been like, "Coming into the <laughs> ring, the daughter of the Miskara! <laughs> <laughs> the yeah. of <confiscated trees> <laughs> the body, yeah. the powers of Zeus. It's Wonder
4: Woman!"
0: And then she like, <laughs> <laughs> <looking> um, yeah. I mean, she was contractually obligated to do it, I, I presume. So it was fine.
1: I liked it for what it was. I did like that they actually it was Gal Gadot because early in the movie, there's a Wonder Woman gag and it felt a similar thing to what they did with the first movie, Superman gag, and then they showed the entire torso, but not the head because it's not the actual actor. It's just like a, a standing or stunt woman or whatever. So the fact that she actually showed up was cool.
2: Oh my um, God, the old thing, but- when it did Jim on Honsley's face, that was
1: hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Um, So that was cool, but given the way DC is about to go into this soft reboot era, given the fact that we know there's no sort of more Wonder Woman sort of films or anything coming out, there's a it, it lessened my excitement a little bit. Like typically, I just compare it to like how I typically feel when a Marvel cameo really, really hits. I'm walking out the cinema pumped. I'm talking about where they're going to appear. And obviously that's not something that we can do with this uh, one. But you know, for what it was, it was okay. Um, The post-credit scenes, which I have not seen, but I've been told what they are uh, because in our screening, I saw it with Hannah uh, at a junket screening and they elected not to show us the post-credit scenes for some reason. I don't know why, Um, but Clarice... I know that you had thoughts on at least one of these post credit scenes.
0: I'm just... <laughs> don't drag... Don't drag my sweet babies into this. <laughs> Leave them out of it. It just doesn't make sense. And by
1: your sweet babies, you mean who exactly?
0: The people from Peacemaker, Hardcore <laughs> and Economist.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. it doesn't make any fucking sense i think i said this is black adam like amanda waller in charge of task force x right that goes tits up during the suicide squad and so she's like in a lot of hot water because her employees literally assault her (laughs) and and mutiny so at the start of Peacemaker, both of them have been demoted. That's why all of Peacemaker happens, because those two have been demoted. And then at the end of Peacemaker... Sorry, spoilers for Peacemaker.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Like, Task Force X is exposed to the public. So Amanda Waller is is in even more hot water. At what point in this timeline is she suddenly in charge of the Justice Society? And at what point in this timeline... A hardcore and economist suddenly promoted from like technicians, which is basically what they were, to to her, like secondhand people.
1: It makes no sense. But again,
0: I can't all, live all... like this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> again, you know, it's going to be interesting once Flashpoint, once the Flash, which again is a movie that is still happening somehow, um, happens. Um, you know, some things I predict are going to be reset and will have more clarity on the questions that you have, Clarice, in terms of where people stand in the hierarchy of organizations and who leads who, etc. I uh, like
0: the yeah. caterpillar, though. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know who he is, but I like him. <laughs> he's, he's cute.
1: <laughs> From the fury of the gods to the power of love. It's time for Rylanne.
2: It's
1: Dom, right? I'm Yaz. That's me. Gonna meet my ex for the first time since the breakup. And you're still calling it the breakup? I thought we were fine. We were better than fun. We moved in together, but we had Hamilton tickets. It's a serious commitment. Right? So, what happened? She cheated on me with my best friend. You cheated on
2: Dom? With him. Oh,
1: that hurts a little bit. I
2: mean,
0: I get it. The arms are nice, but
2: what would she even talk about? Are you just going to sit there and uh, say that to me? Well, she said
1: my arms are nice.
0: Here
2: I go, here I go, here I go again, girls. What's my weakness? Rom-coms!
1: You know that's right. (laughs) You
2: know that's right. Yes, uh, if you remember (laughs) last week, we spoke to Vivian Apara, who plays Yaz, one half of the rom-com double double-header in this beautiful film set in South London. So Perkham, yeah. stand up. Peckham, Brixton, Yas and Dom, mm-hmm. 220-somethings, both reeling from bad breakups, connect over the course of an eventful day in South London, helping each other deal with their nightmare exes and potentially restoring their faith in romance. Directed by Rain Alan Miller and written by Nathan Bryan and Tom Mellier, Riley stars Our Girl Vivian, David Johnson, Alice Hukin, Munya Chihuahua, Simon Mayonda, and Kareen Peter. So, um, uh, Amon, let's go to you first. Uh, Is this the connaissance we've been waiting for?
1: (laughs) Uh, In some ways, yes. In some ways, no, but by intention. Like, Having talked to Rain Allen Miller a couple of times, she's very hesitant to a degree to even call the rom um, which is very, very interesting in and of itself. But I really liked that aspect of the film, that romance, that connection, how it slowly is slowly is how how it is slowly fostered over the course of this day, <laughs> this walk and, walk and talk day to the degree that they have, I thought that was really, really beautifully done. The chemistry between David Johnson and Vivian Opara is so brilliant to watch. Um, and it has to be because they are sort of carrying this film to a degree. But what I love about the film, away from just the romance, is that it's very much also about self-love and how that can positively and negatively impact new relationships. And that's the thing that I might have connected with even more than the romance of it all. It's um, brilliantly done.
2: Mm. Uh, so I'm thinking about rom-coms that take place in one day, one fine day, iconic, George Clooney <laughs> and Michelle Pfeiffer. There's uh, Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Doesn't that take place in one one evening? With Kat Dennings and oh, who I want to, who do I want to say is the other person? Michael Sarah. Michael Mm -hmm. Sarah. Yeah. So I suppose before
1: before series.
2: Yeah, that's not a rom com though. That's a romantic drama, right? That's a different thing. True. It's like when Vivian said, "Love and Basketball" is a rom com. It's like it's not a rom com.
3: (laughs) It's a romance.
2: It's a romance <laughs> drama, but, like, uh, for me, well, I mean, the fact that Colin Firth does a cameo in this, for me, is, like, mm-hmm. sorry if that's spoilers, but, like, come on, it's, you know, I won't say <laughs> where, but, like, it knows it's a But my point was, mm. um, how does the structure of this kind of work? Would you say it works in its favour, that it's actually quite self-contained, that all the stuff happens in one day, or thereabouts?
0: Yeah, I mean... I'm on, it's funny you say the yeah that i would say the before sunrise the trilogy is is not a rom-com but i think this movie like borrows quite a lot of the structure where it's like it's very unstructured right mm-hmm. it's just they they have like pinpoint events that they gravitate towards um but other than that it's really about like the relationship between them developing and their conversations and i was so struck like halfway through the movie thinking oh my god it's been so long since i've watched a rom-com where i actually believed the two people are falling in love and the mm. movie has made space for that because i feel like i see it over and over again and in, in well not even rom-coms just movies where people are meant to fall in love and they're just like acting normal for 45 minutes and then at the 45 minute mark they're like oh i guess we're in love and it's Mm. like this is so natural and it's so well developed and like you can just feel like the sexual tension between them building like slowly but like it's happening and you can see it Mm. and that was so great and i enjoyed that so much so much
3: (laughs) yeah
2: i definitely that's why i I think sometimes it captures sometimes you have these moments where they're quite random, but actually that creates a bond. Like you're going through something together that feels so out of the ordinary that in a way you'll look at the other person differently and you always have that thing together. And in a way it's like, how do you respond to it? Like you, it's like, I mean, I mean, it's like that thing goes, like there's something quite beautiful in the way that they experience these kind of different haphazard situations that only draws them close and it, it reveals more about each other. Um, mm. What I really enjoyed about this film is, you know, I would say aesthetically and actually like k- kinetic pace of it had, of course, totally different but like Boots Riley, sorry to bother you I really like the way it was shot, shot, I like the fact that it used a lot of these quite, what's it called? Like a perifocal? Is it like a lens where... Fish it, eye lens. Uh, fish eye. Fish, okay, a fish eye lens for a lot of it which really made sure that um... You know, the city, South London, was as much as character as everyone else. Amon, how do you think that kind of worked for you?
1: Loved it. Loved it because it showcases Peckham in a really great way. So not only have you got the characters and you're getting that, but the background and what is happening around them because of how it's shot, you get to see that as well. And... The cinematographer Olin Kaladi has worked with Rain and Miller Mirror on some uh, other projects that she's done. This is a feature debut, but she's done adverts and short films. And, <laughs> for, and full disclosure, I know Olan a little bit. Um, back when I first, first started out in this film journalism game, there was a site which I started writing for called Yin and Yang, uh, which is now sadly defunct. Uh, but he and the editor of that site were friends. And so, the couple of functions that we had, I met him. It's really cool to see him uh, sort of doing big things with this film. Um, and also, just while we're talking about the it's so vibrant and colorful, and I love that. But also, the way black skin, dark skin, black skin is lit in this mm. amazing. Um, and obviously, that, that, that's a big discussion in the film world right now. Um, annoyingly, this is after or before Viola, we pressed record, but back when I talked to Brian Tyree Henry on an earlier episode, um, before the camera was um, sort of started recording, he was telling me how he hired, he, he hires a person for himself on set specifically to make sure that he's lit well in these films, <laughs> which is incredible. Mm. Um But yeah, Olin did the thing with that. Uh, very happy for him. Great work.
2: And, um... I suppose let's talk about the actors as well. I think, you know, I've known, I've seen David Johnson in industry. Um, mm-hmm. I've seen Vivian. I, I don't think I've seen her in much, but I also, I quite like the fact that it was relatively unknown. They weren't bringing to the film any sort of baggage. How do you mm-hmm. think, what did you think of their sort of performances? And I suppose in turn, like, like the direction of it, because I think there's a real balance of like quite, grounded groundedness but also kind of not afraid to get a bit silly um get a bit kind of weird get a bit eccentric in certain places and certainly in certain Mm -hmm. scenes where it kind of um where where the internal like certain situations where a conversation manifests or a memory is manifest whether it's you know at a cinema with different versions or Mm. looks like a stage I thought those kind of like flourishes really added um yeah. i don't know just like te- like visual cinematic texture was like this is exciting mm-hmm. cin- filmmaking but back to like performances clarice where do you stand on that
0: yeah th- what's so interesting to me about this movie is like is that there's a sort of like constant tension but like really interesting tension between what is traditionally rom-com and also trying to like reframe that and revisit what the rom-com means and i really felt that like in those two performances because if you look at yaz and dom on paper it's sort of a manic pixie dream girl thing right because he's quite introverted yeah and she sort of like quirkily explodes into his life and like changes his outlook but when you're watching the movie both of the characters are so well developed and i think vivian Opara is, like, so fucking charismatic mm. <laughs> and mm. so interesting to watch that she never, ever feels like that. She never feels like some sort of, like, tool in his life, right? No. Um, and that, I thought that was kind of, I don't know if it was intentional or if it's just, like, it happened to be that way, but I think to, like, take a, like, really worn-out trope and just completely explode it and be like fuck this (laughs) we're gonna Mm. do it well Mm. now Mm. was one of the things that was very exciting to me about the movie
2: yeah I also really like for me I and again like when it was really great to speak to Vivian about just like the way the character and I think we often do this especially outgoing I really relate to Vivian as a character because I feel like I often put on this front I'm like yeah fuck that feminine blah blah all these type of things and actually in reality I'm I'm broken inside and I'm quite needy and insecure about things and you know things don't go my way and there is a kind of like I don't know sadness that we kind of present versus like you know and I thought that capturing that and that's how it avoids manic pixie dream girl because in a way it's like it's not about her being that for herself she's she's created this manic pixie dream girl for herself to hide who she feels she really is and that's why I quite like that how it kind of like you know reconfigures that trope in a way that feels less about the man's perception of her, but more about her perception of herself. And I love that. Mm-hmm. It's about her coming to her own thing to find out what she needs, you know? And the same for him. And they've got, it's like, they both have their own separate journeys that they need to go on. But fundamentally it realizes like, yeah, like you said, they're like, they might not on paperwork, but actually maybe they're the best thing for each other because they bring out the best in each other.
1: Yeah. They come into their lives They're coming to each other's lives at the right time. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I completely agree with everything you're saying about the performances. They vibe off each other so well. And I think it's a mixture of the writing, the directing, and the acting in order to get that authentic mess on screen. And also to be able to improvise, and there's clearly some improvised moments in this, and have it feel of a piece with the character and the story. Um, and yeah, they it's the, that, that that vibe is there from the moment that they <laughs> properly meet uh, because you know, the, mm. the first meet cute, <laughs> which is again, another thing, which is barely, I don't think, I don't know if I've seen that in the wrong before, uh, <laughs> meeting where they uh, meet for the first time. am not going to spoil it if you haven't. I
2: mean, Ali, but is full yeah. of them. <laughs>
1: they're the unisex
2: toilet for a reason Um, can I give a hot take and I don't know if you guys know that it's Munya Chihuahua right he's the guy who does like TikToks and stuff like that Mm -hmm. I feel Mm -hmm. like I need him to like do something where it's actually I can see him actually act rather than just be there as the oh it's that guy from the TikToks do you get what I mean? (laughs) Because it was like that he was in the, he was in, um, what's the TV show, Neil Gaiman uh, one that, oh God, based not on the, the Sandman. The Sandman. <laughs> he is very oh, was very, he one character in it in that. And it's like, I could not, I was like, that's a TikTok guy. And in this, he's in hmm. it. And it was like, oh, it's the TikTok, like, Guy does impressions and does like funny videos, and he's so good at it. Don't get me wrong, he's really mm-hmm. like he'd be great in like you know, in a sketch show, the BBC Three should mm-hmm. commission him or something like that. 100%. But at the moment, it takes me out when I see him in it. <laughs>
3: mm. Do you get what well, I mean? It's
0: a different skill set. This is the thing with yeah. TikTok, and I'm, I'm not dissing TikTok creators at all because it's incredibly no. difficult to do what they because do because you
1: are ladies. one now. <laughs> No one, no, one, one, is, no one
2: is, no Clarissa's biggest TikTok champion than a month. It's <laughs>
3: Every week,
0: you're
2: like, I really appreciate like, it. You're
0: Thank
2: like you. a soccer mom. You're like, what's
3: it called? tears and tiaras?
2: As like, uh, my
0: girls TikToks, they're going, they're going to finals.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, I was I. I think that we have like a weird cultural mis, like a misconception that we think that with making TikToks and being a TikTok uh creator or content creator is the same as acting and it's not it's a different type of performance and I think we're just always going to be stuck with that until we realize that you can't just yeah you can't just put TikTok people in movies because mm. they are not trained actors
2: no, but I don't know his background. That's he could a... be. Some of them actually are maybe, trained, maybe. but you know what I mean. But it's maybe. more that but it's more that I want I want him to have either a substantial enough role where I actually get to see him act, not just a throwaway thing. You know how sometimes when they do animated films and they'll get like Ben Shepherd to be the local voice who represents like the the red carpet reporter yeah. in a move in a movie or something like that. That's what it feels like at the moment. And I would, I'd love, I really want to see what he can do outside of the kind of quite over the top impression of thing where it, that's, that's my, I mean, I've gone on for too long about this, but yeah, I, I, I just want some more substance from his kind of like, rather than it be like a stunt casting situation. Hmm.
0: I like to see Jasper the doll. In a movie, I don't know if anyone knows. <laughs> I don't that. know who that is. It's just it's just a Barbie doll that's got like a weird a weird voice like this. <laughs> <laughs> I love her, <laughs> but her in a movie.
2: <laughs> Anyways, okay, so it's screen stream or skip a mon for Rylane
1: Screen, screen, screen for me. Uh, really love this. Have seen it twice already, and yeah, it could do with all the support, and it is worthy of all the support.
2: Clarice. Screen. 100% screen. Maybe take a little visit down to the and Rye and buy things. Don't just be tourists. Go down and support the local community. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I would like to
1: see, I would like to see the gowns you were showing us to Vivian in your interview.
2: You've seen them. My Vivian Westwood, like, I think I'll show you. I'll show you later. Okay. <laughs> it was very good. I'm very excited. Okay. So, um from... Ah, uh, two young lovers to the corrupted love of the stage. <laughs> this is Belle. Please, Lord, make me the biggest star the world has ever known so that I make it far, far away from this place.
4: Now, caring for your family during these times is admirable, but you only get one take of this life.
0: If only they would just die. Pardon? Nothing. I wanna be loved oh by you Just you Nobody else but you I wanna be loved by you Alone boop, boop, I didn't
1: realise Marcel the show was in this movie <laughs>
3: <laughs> did, I, did I pass the audition?
0: Am I in the show?
1: <laughs> I'm sorry but that's a no It's going to be a no. No, I'm a star! I'm a star!
0: (laughs) This is Pearl. (laughs) Trapped on an isolated farm, Pearl must tend to her ailing father under the watch of her mother. Lusting for the glamorous life she's seen in the movies, Pearl's temptations and repressions collide. Directed by Ty West and written by West and Mia Goth. It stars Mia Goth, David Coran Sweat, Tandy Wright, Matthew Sunderland, Emma jenkins Perot, and Alistair Sewell. I feel like I almost have to recuse myself from this <laughs> <laughs> review because um, I love this movie a little too much. I related a little too hard i cried a couple of times (laughs) i know that's not the normal reaction people are having to this movie um so i will just um allow you guys to talk about it uh let's start with x though um which i actually watched after pearl which is i know is not the right order because this is i don't think it matters that explains
2: yeah maybe it doesn't matter I don't think it does because I was saying I think if you watch Pearl first, of course you won't know it's a reference. But if you watch X, you'd be like, "Oh, this makes sense." But I suppose, <laughs> yeah, I suppose it might give away certain plot points if you're that interested in the character. You know that Pearl is a prequel and know what's going on. But I don't know, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it ruins it either way.
0: I mean, Hannah, how did you? How did it compare for you? Because for me, like. Oh, I loved it X so much more. Good. Yeah. But like Pearl is like another level. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: And don't get me wrong. I think it's, re- I think in a way, um, X was quite, f- I quite like how funny it was and how kind of knowing it was of that kind of time of like people at the time in the 70s, like the golden age of porn. It's like this serious filmmaker who thinks he can make porn like art. You know what I mean? That's sort of like really getting into exactly. that tropism. It's really funny. Um, I think the cast are great. And it's that very traditional sort of. I think it's like very traditional sort of like horror of like the time it was set. Whereas Pearl feels like a horror of the time, more of like closer to the time and the early sort of horror. It's kind of the, the stylistic. I suppose the kind of nuances, the flourishes, the way it kind of uh, the long looks on the face—it felt like oh, this is far from far earlier period of cinema, and obviously not exactly the same period. But don't you did you get that, Clarice? Like it felt like it was trying to recreate a horror movie that might have been more in keeping with at the t- closer to when the film was the setting of the film that it, um, the setting of the film
0: yeah so the film is set in 1918 and the the of course that's the beginning very like yeah so it's during this the influenza epidemic and kind of near the end of world war one and the look of it is meant to replicate the three strip technicolor which uh, to me this is my interpretation of it i feel like the the color of it the fact that she's riding around on a bicycle There's some shit with a scarecrow. I mean, it's very Wizard of Oz, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And the thing with Wizard of Oz is I've always kind of thought this, (laughs) that Dorothy Gale is actually more herself and her, like, better self in Oz as opposed to Kansas. Like, Kansas is so oppressive Mm. and depressing. She goes to this magical place that is actually just a delusion inside her head, right, because it didn't happen. But she becomes, like, free. And I feel like that, to me, is what Pearl mm. is about. And, and she wears a red not...
2: dress. It's got, yeah, there's there's red so dress. much. What yeah. is suppose...
1: for Wizard of Oz?
0: <laughs> no, but
2: I, think... <laughs> but I think that's what I mean. <laughs> You're so right. You, 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 you bringing that up, Clarice, kind of made me think it was like, oh, yeah, of course, Wizard of Oz. But I think I meant in, like, the sense of, like, um, yeah, it was trying to, it seems like a very... I mean, of course, she wants to be a star. There's the whole thing with the theatre booth, the theatre barra, Cleopatra showing at the screen. I thought it was like, oh, Cleopatra will love that. (laughs) But like (laughs) all those things, it feels like it's, it's like a love, it feels like, you know, if Brian Lane's a love letter to South London, like Pearl's a love letter to like the kind of, that sort of kind of early, early kind of achievements of cinema and what cinema can do, but not just like one genre, but like across the medium. It was like saying, "Let's celebrate all of it,
0: right?" Yeah. So it's gonna build up what you said. I think what is surprising about Pearl in comparison to X that X is like a pretty traditional slasher. Yeah. And I think it also includes like it's got like the hag horror stuff, which I didn't love in that movie. Like, oh, aging bodies are gross. Blah. Mm. Pearl, to me, and I'm on. This is now. I want to come to you. Is sort of. Mm, yeah very restrained in the way that maybe does recall early horror because if you think about like the original dracula it's obviously not (laughs) it's very restrained Mm. in in a lot of places um and pearl is almost like a like a tragic comedy portrait of this like woman just completely surrendering to delusional thinking and murder uh and the actual kills like the horror side of it i mean among what was how did you feel about it? Did it, did it feel like surprisingly low-key? Or like, what was your take on the, that side?
1: Um, two things to say before I answer that question. One, I've not yet seen X, um, but I'm excited to. I was trying to see both today uh, before doing this, but I only managed to see Pearl. Uh, the second thing is that this is another horror, um, you know, in better comments, that again, did not scare me. You know, I, I don't know what it is. Is it, the, is it the film? Is it me? I don't know what's going on, but I feel like I've taken a step here. I just want to acknowledge that. Um, Now, <laughs> <laughs> to answer your question, uh, it did feel low-key until it wasn't. Um, and that is obviously by design, and I think that worked well for the film. Um, it's very much, for the first half of the film, a character study as she slowly and slowly and slowly gets more and more fed up with their situation and then does what she does. Um, And I appreciated that because of that setup, it makes the second half of the film that much more impactful. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm.
0: I mean, let's just, let's just fucking talk about
2: Mia Goth. I I want to also say one thing I really liked about it as well. the, The kind of like, um, I really like how quite feminist it is as well of like being stuck and like when you only have mm. certain ways to get out and then suddenly the promise mm-hmm. of escape is ruined because like again class well people just not getting it people like doing tourist things and like living the life, like no and when you're stuck as a woman where well, you don't get to go off and do on your own and make your own choices and when you have to basically go from being working for your family and then working for your husband and that sort of thing, it's like you kinda like, I get it, Pearl. I get it, girl. Mm-hmm. You know, I I understand it. I maybe don't agree with mm. it, but I understand mm. it. I understand those decisions you make. Yeah. And I understand what it sent you for a loop. Mm.
1: I like that that understanding extends to Pearl's mother, uh has as horrendous a woman as she is you again understand how she's gotten to that point in her life and the frustrations are in some ways similar to the frustrations that Pearl is going through. I thought that was interesting. It that sucks that, to that be dinner a woman. scene <laughs> that <laughs> dinner scene that they have, incredible acting by both Mia Goff and Tandy White. Good stuff.
0: Yeah, i w I'll just say <laughs> Before I went to see this movie, I saw a lot of people describe it as the joker for autistic girls. And I thought, haha, that's funny. Good joke. But they weren't kidding.
3: <laughs> <laughs> and
0: there's something, I don't know if there's any intention behind it. It might be totally unintentional. But there's a lot of in this movie about the idea of masking and unmasking in the literal sense of like, because it's the pandemic, she has to go into the town and wear a mask. Mm-hmm. But also, like, there's something so empathetic and I think profoundly tragic about her story because, like, she just wants to be herself and and she is in the society that, like, will Mm. not, will not just, is always telling her to, like, tamper herself down and, like, stop wanting to dance around and stop talking to the animals and like obviously in the movie it's mixed up with like the murder thing <laughs> and the fact that part of it is that she has like murderous impulses but you can kind of take that away because it's also just put a pin in that scene <laughs>
1: yeah. the murder thing. it's <laughs> that, <laughs> that small inconvenience <laughs>
3: like long before
0: like any of long before the movie turns into a horror film like this is just a scene of like there's this romance she has with the projectionist that oh, let me try like it kind of goes sour because he reveals just herself. sees her being yeah he just sees her like being herself and not this like projected image of yeah of, like what a woman is meant to be and i think like I kind of get why yeah. I think for like a lot of neurodivergent people, like that's that's what people are talking about there. Cause that's like that's like mm. very uh close to home. It also feels that she's like a woman ahead of her time
2: as well. Like Yeah. Like, it's what's interesting when you see it as a companion piece or like obviously a prequel to X. There's something about what they're doing in that film and also what we see in this film about the sort of like you know, seeing those naughty videos that were actually for the fun of the first things people used for the, for film, right? In Europe, right? You know, Hedy Lamar, first film, what first year in Austria was in a n- nudie film, a sex film, right? So I think it was interesting that kind of like connection, and also like why she might have been really quite intrigued about the kind of characters who are in X, you know, what they're doing in that space, quite like that
0: yeah and the sort of like the lack of judgment that she has around it at the beginning mm. obviously that kind of changes in X, but um I mean I'm on you you message before we started recording about <laughs> having nightmares about Ms goth's performance in this please elaborate <sighs>
1: um she has a very expressive face um. <laughs> And
2: she's not a future makes... Mrs. Amon <laughs> <woman>, is
1: she? <laughs> <laughs> look, look, Mia Goth is an incredible actor. I put her in the same category as I do Alison Williams, I think is her name. She plays uh Rose in Get Out. Both I put them in the same category now. Incredible actors, incredible performances. I did not want to stand I, I did not want to spend an extended amount of time with them because they would creep me out. Now that I know they have this in their wheelhouse, it would just creep me out. And I know there's a difference between character and actor. I know this, I get it. But have you seen these performances? No. I, I need other people in the room, if and when I meet these people, because it's just too creepy. And there's... <laughs>
0: Can I, for balance, <laughs> just say that I would like to marry Mia a goth? Sorry. Of course you would. Of course
1: you would. But, yeah, there's, there's a couple of scenes which we probably have to talk about uh, in that regard uh, in a very sort of non-spoilery way, but there's a long monologue that Mia Goth has in the final sort of few minutes of this film, which is just exceptional Um, on every level you can imagine. And some, which you probably can't, it's just incredible. There's a feat of memory. (laughs) It's it's just incredible in that regard, but the acting again, the authenticity, the, the mess, the, It feels less, it doesn't feel rehearsed. It feels just like a stream of consciousness. And I thought that was incredible. And then the credits scene, shall we say, um, that's the thing in particular that's going to be giving me nightmares, Clarice, because she holds a pose and holds a pose and continues to hold said pose for an extended amount of time and it's incredible acting. It it's very, play. very creepy. I feel
0: like we can say she doesn't blink. It's been already like all over Twitter. She doesn't blink okay. for like three minutes. Yeah. It's scary. It's it's, it's incredible.
1: <laughs> it's creepy. I'm trying to get that image out of my mind already, but it's incredible.
2: You know acting. what she kind of <clears> reminds <throat> me of and what I really like about it? It's like, she's kind of got a bit of that Nicolas Cage, like energy of like weird mm. energy. Like, mm. like this yeah. is, we're going to ground this in a realist, but I'm going to take it to somewhere because again, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a documentary, right? You can be a bit eccentric. Mm. You can go be a bit landish and you can have fun with it. And there's this real sense of like, oh, I just love how like this, how much she fills up the space, even when she's not mm. saying anything. And the way that her face is quite, she's got such a youthful, innocent face. And I think that also makes her so scary as well. And menacing, I would say. In the when she's kind of like, when you know, like, when you know she's about to like stab something, like, you're like, Mm -hmm. okay, I can see like her face shifting. I can see it coming out and you can see the kind of like butt wouldn't melt, but also like, oh no, wait till you see what's coming underneath. This is just, you know, Mm -hmm. you said about masks and she wears so many of them. And I think she's just Mm so, she's so interesting and fun to watch. And she really like is not afraid of like, changing like like the kind of power of her using the power of her voice to really articulate stuff and really enunciate things you know what i mean it's like everything can be quite i feel like some things can be quite boring and sterile everything's so serious and i feel like i love this because it's like no let's kind of like make horror
0: kind of fun and kind of weird and wacky a bit very nouveau shamanistic Mm. <laughs> would say. talking about different styles of acting mm. get about method acting That's the way yeah
2: exactly enough of a method <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's wrap up on poll. Uh, do we want to screen stream or skip this one in the UK it's been out in America for like a year so hope you're happy <laughs> Amon what do you want to pick
1: Screen Um Just you know Be be warned that You might have a hard time sleeping
2: (laughs) Hannah Oh screen So much fun
0: (laughs) And I would like to screen And never watch any other film again Just this
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so now we're going to take year. the going to take this moment to say we're now moving to a two person podcast. Uh, everyone just wanted to. No, no, no our we're listeners. changing to a Pearl podcast. <laughs> oh,
3: that's
1: that's minute what we're doing. By minute, okay.
0: Pearl. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. <laughs> well. um... Mia Goth, I feel like maybe she might turn up in this movie we're about to talk about. <laughs> kind of seems like her vibe. Because now it's time for a... Hot take. Hot take,
2: hot take, hot take. Critic takes of the hot take.
0: <laughs> so, Quentin Tarantino, he's back. And for the last time, he says. <laughs> <laughs> so The Hollywood Reporter announced this week that Quentin Tarantino has written a script titled The Movie Critic, which is set to film this fall. Sources describe the story as being set in the late 1970s in Los Angeles with a female lead at its center, potentially inspired by Pauline Kael. We don't really know, but maybe, probably. There's no studio attached. There are no actors. We just know that he's written the script and it will be his final one if he doesn't break his promise, which I do think he will. But
1: Yep. 100% <laughs> he will.
0: Come on. It's quite interesting.
3: <laughs> but he's
0: always said that he wants to make 10 because... And this is a quote, directors don't get better as they get older. Usually the worst films in their filmography are those last four at the end. I'm all about my filmography and one bad film fucks up three good ones. Um, without mentioning The Hateful Eight, let's pretend that <laughs> I agree with him.
3: <laughs> I love The, hate I don't know, I like the that Hateful movie. Eight. I don't know The Hateful
0: Eight. I don't know The Hateful Eight. But I mean, this is my question about it um once upon a time in hollywood i know had lots of varied reactions to it Mm -hmm. i was very middling on it because i think like tarantino is an incredible craftsman and his movies move and look so beautiful but like There's, (laughs) there's, <laughs> I don't really know what he has to say right now as a filmmaker. And I feel like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was him being like imagining himself as Cliff Booth and um, Rick Dalton of like the the older generation who feels like they're being pushed out and then they come back and do this really heroic shit and save the day. And I feel like Tarantino was imagining himself as, as those characters. So I'm kind of interested in in what do you think the movie critic is going to say about oh, filmmaking?
2: I think it's what he's going to say. If he's setting it in the 70s when actually like Pauline Kael was one of the very few women writing about film, white women as it were, I mean Jewish, Jewish American women, um, you know, I think if anything, in the way that it's kind of like, like, it was a better time, you know, kind of like once upon a tiny, that's when they used to make movies, right? That was exactly. when it was yeah. like, cool. I honestly think it's going to be like that. And if you have Pauline Kael as a basis of this one, you know, one of the things I wrote in my book was that as much as you can really rate her writing, she could be racist as fuck. <laughs> like, she did mm-hmm. a review of Othello with Laurence Olivier uh, and basically said that actually, no, uh, Laurence Olivier could play a Negro better than any black man. And it, maybe if black men play a few more white roles, then they could play the Negro better. And this is two years after Sidney Poitier wow. won one. And this is, you know, I've got a wow. collective work from there. And it was like, wow, Pauline, <laughs> this is two years after Sydney Poitier won his Oscar. Do you know what I mean? And, 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 you know, there's some, I mean, she's amazing, but there's also a time where, you know, again, people got away with saying a lot of shit a lot of things and I wonder if it's gonna be like kind of a comment on free, like speech and like the work of filming. Cause even there's a, you know, she said other things that's quite interesting. You know, she talks about, um, again, I don't know if it is about Pauline Cale, but she kind of, she quotes about Raging Bull. She, was, she could be very acerbic. She was a very acerbic critic. Um, but she said things like, with, about Barbara De Niro goes, I don't even, and Raging Bull is like, I don't know if it's acting. I mean, certainly, you know, that's a question whether you believe that sort of that actually transformation, the method he did study under like a bit with Stella Adler and Lee Strasberg, but wasn't, he actually didn't like the act studios that much. I think Al Pacino got involved, but like, you know, it's like he he's that sort of acting where it's like, we're not acting, we're going to become these people and do everything. So actually we transform. So actually the only thing we really have to do is kind of deliver our lines, right? You know, it's like, that. So if you do everything else, you don't have to worry about that. You can just focus on delivering the lines. Um, so it will be interesting I just don't, like I'm excited for it because I I honestly fundamentally believe that every filmmaker is within their rights to use their artistic brush or whatever their lens to, to critique the people who critique, uh, critique them, right they've been doing it for, you know M. Night Shaloman. I think there's been a few times where in films where like uh, uh, what's this called, Siskel and Ebert have been like, um have been parodied in some stuff as like critics, mm-hmm. you know. Bird I don't. Man. Right? Yeah, Bird you know, mammoths, like theater critics. Yeah, but <laughs> you know, and it's like I, I have no issue with people want to do that if they want to use that art artist. I just not. I think you said this, uh, Amon – I just, I'm just not looking forward to the discourse where everyone gets really solipsistic about it. Um, but then, you know, what I oh, mean?
1: she used the S word. I did. I know that's safe. Yeah. Oh, that's that's all we watch, Malcolm and Marie, right now. No. At
2: least, actually, <laughs> actually, you know what? If they do, if it is set in the seventies, thank fuck because I don't want to have another discourse about. Who was, the, who was the lady at the LA Times, the critic at the LA, white lady at LA mm. Times. It's like,
3: anyway.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm really intrigued to watch this. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, whatever his faults, is a very smart filmmaker. And I know that he reads criticism quite regularly. Um, and he really respects um, that side of things. So that, already sort of has me okay I'm interested to see how he comes at this and what he wants to reveal through making this film about the art of criticism, especially if it's gonna be set in the time it looks to be set in setting um so yeah, I'm intrigued but I, as as you say the you know <laughs> I was tired of the discourse seven minutes after learning about this film. The discourse has already started. We've got two years of this to look forward to. Um, <laughs> so when it, when it comes out, it's just going to go into overdrive. Um, but I, you know, if I were to predict it right now, I think it would be a really, really good film. I don't think, as as we said, that's going to be Tarantino's final film because he, he won't be able to stay away. Um, when you know what you're meant to do in this life, it's hard to put that sword down And say you're going to try and do something else. And granted, he's he's written books and he's going to continue to do that. Mm. But I just... And he wrote a book
0: uh, of film criticism. So I do, again, think the movie's going to be about him.
3: Mm.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's he's going to be the Pauline Kael. What what would be
2: interesting (laughs) is how, actually, even in criticism, that got taken away from women, right? It was like suddenly when, you know, when movies became like more making more you know the kind of like element of it taking up space and people want to have criticism actually it became a field that men took oh. over instead it was left seen as a frivolous kind of thing of like gossip comments or whatever um and then suddenly like it was like no let's make room for the white man because these white filmmakers are making stuff and let's you know do that that would be quite interesting if he wants to get into that but i suppose if you're using pauline kale as like your way in it'd be like Ooh, a bit of the white you know what i mean the kind of white I I wouldn't even think she would call herself a feminist, to be honest. I think she was just, Hmm. she was like one of these people who's like, she doesn't, she didn't care about um, identity politics or anything. I mean, she cared to an extent to make, you know, (laughs) um, broad, broad uh, generalizations and (laughs) opinions Hmm. about who can play what race better. But yeah, she's not, I don't know. She's like not someone who is, uh, you can easily push as a kind of like a, a he- like a, like she's not going to be like the bride you know what I mean like easy mm. one to get behind but maybe that's going to be she might be a bit of not not like the tar but like I feel like she's got more of this like the cultural like critical sensibility of something like tar but even that she has said some good stuff like about like you know how Anthony Hitchcock used like um Anthony, Anthony Hitchcock Alfred Anthony Hitchcock Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> how Al- Alfred Hitchcock was, like, really showed his absolute fucking misogyny through the way he,
0: like, presented women being attacked
2: on screen and stuff.
0: I don't know. It's interesting.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, I kind of, like, if I had to make a prediction, I feel like it's probably might be kind of tonally close to Jackie Brown and, like, kind mm. of feel like, you know, like her, like, her story is sort of She's just trying to make it through, mm. <laughs> and there's all this shit around her, and she's like, "Fuck, I'm so tired." Mm. Like, I can kind of imagine him creating that sort of female lead again. Mm. Um, I don't know who he'd cast. Well, it's but...
2: interesting. Some people have suggested Jennifer Jason Leigh. She's due. I actually think if you get good... again, we don't know it's Pauline Kale. but I think a lot of people, you know, it might be inspired and loosely by it. But her, someone said Leslie Manville. Because again,
0: Angela Bassett. Yeah. Get Angela Bassett her
1: fucking Oscar. Hey. And yeah. her in this. There we go. Ooh, yeah, I, so oh, oh, is, oh, I really like this idea, not great. I like it a lot. Do that. How Has Angela worked with Quentin before? Yeah, but like, if
2: it's a black person, how many times is he going to write the n-word? This oh, is a good
0: point. I, you know when you're like, representation.
2: But at what cost? Yeah. At what
0: cost? <laughs> Yeah. Do we think that he's gonna have a um you know, cause obviously his last films have all been historical revisionism. Is there gonna mm. be I mean I made a joke on Twitter. Is it gonna end with Pauline Kale like driving a bulldozer through the offices of Rotten Tomatoes? Like
3: <laughs> <laughs> do you, or is he? What if his seventies? What was like that?
2: going on? Maybe she maybe i will do the thing where she thwarts a I don't know, a bomb scare at the Oscars or something like that. <laughs> Well, maybe she is it. Maybe it's actually Glamorama meets the but the movie critic version. Yeah, which is basically Zoolander, no. but
1: like we're movie critic. Where?
0: We'll Quentin, see. if you're
1: listening to this, and any of these ideas end up in the movie, twenty percent, twenty percent. I think that's a fair price.
0: Honestly, I just I'd rather be left out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, please exclude me from the narrative. He'd never give us money because Quentin Tarantino has always said, great artists steal. They don't do homages. So he would absolutely just steal these ideas.
1: <laughs> wow. I mean, <laughs> have, have you seen done.
0: his movies? <laughs> I, don't, exactly.
1: I don't like giving away free stuff. Let's send this pod. Come on now.
2: <laughs> I love the seriousness with which you said that. As if Quentin Tarantino is an avid listener of this podcast.
1: You don't know that he's not...
0: Oh, I'm scared now. I don't want to say anything more. You put the idea that Quentin Tarantino might be listening in my head.
2: That's I'm honestly afraid. really ominous. Honest. Maybe it's actually, that's what the inspiration for the movie critic is. It's
0: us. Can't <laughs> oh you imagine if we sit down to watch the movie and there are like three characters that all seem exactly like us? Yeah. That'd be so funny.
1: I know, I'll know it's me if Denzel is playing me.
2: If it happened, I'd be... I know it's me if some white woman's playing me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Rachel God God. Quentin, if you're listening, can you cast me a goth as me? Oh, gosh. (laughs) Well... Thanks for tuning in and happy viewing via whatever medium is safest for you. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It does make a difference. And tweet us any questions or hot takes at Fade to Black Pod on Twitter. I'm Clarice Lou on Twitter and at Clarice Lockery on Instagram. I'm at Hannah Flint on Twitter and at Hannah and S Flint on Instagram.
1: And I'm at Amon Woman on Twitter and Instagram.
0: We didn't even talk about the new Guillermo del Toro movie. That's very... But it's going to be the greatest day of my life when I watch that movie. So... (laughs) (laughs) Mia Goths in it. (laughs) Farewell, film friends. It's time to fade to black.